You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Millions protested across the country over the death of George Floyd as then-police officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck on a Minneapolis street corner. And then, while Chauvin was on trial for Floyd's killing... Just 10 miles away, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was shot to death by police officer Kim Potter during a traffic stop. I grabbed the wrong gun! I shot him! Oh, my God! Potter said she mistook her handgun for a taser, but a jury convicted her in December, just as another jury had convicted Chauvin in April, after trials in the same Minneapolis courthouse. Do these two high-profile convictions indicate that police are being held more accountable for their misconduct? Here are the parents of Dante Wright. It sends a message saying that um, you just can't do any, just because you're a police, you can't just get away with anything. You just can't do anything. It gives us some sense of hope that there will, you know, that policing in America will not be able to pull their gun instead of their taser. Joining me is former public defender Krista Groshek, managing attorney of Groshek Law. Krista, there are a lot of similarities on the face of these two cases. Two black men stopped by veteran white police officers for nonviolent minor infractions end up dead at the hands of those police officers. But what are the differences? When we look at the Chauvin case, I think that that was quite literally an uphill battle. I think the Kim Potter case was much more nuanced. I will point out that as to both situations, they started out over what appeared to be relatively benign issues. Expired tabs as it relates to the Potter case and in the Chauvin case, we've got a $20 counterfeit bill. And so it's very easy to say these cases should never have resulted in the death of people. You know, each defendant said, well, there was a lot more than that that occurred following the initial inquiry. 
And I think that's particularly true with Kim Potter's case. And that situation unfolded rather quickly as opposed to Chauvin's case, which well, there was a sustained period of time where he had his knee on George Floyd's neck. So there were videos from bystanders in the Chauvin trial and videos from police body cameras and dash cams in the Potter trial. How were the videos key in both trials? I think they were incredibly important pieces of evidence. And in the Chauvin case, the video was, I mean, terribly damning. I mean, that was something that I don't think any juror could get past. It was something that the prosecution smartly hung their hat on. You can believe your eyes. In fact, that video was so hard to watch. And yet the jury was subjected to it over and over again. I mean, there was just no question that what happened in that situation for that length of time was not right. I think the Kim Potter video was a really important piece of evidence, and I do question whether or not the jury's verdict was correct in that that was a very short encounter. It was quick. There was a lot of things happening. There was information coming out shortly after he was stopped. He was attempting to flee. I mean, it was just a much different situation, but both videos were very, very important to both of these cases. Was the use of deadly force an issue in both trials? It was, and I would say kind of, because both officers said that they didn't have any intention to kill the decedent in each case. And so ultimately, we know that there was what I'd call a use of overforce or too much force. The question that the jurors had to grapple with in both cases was why? Why did that transpire? Let's talk about taking the stand, the most important decision that a defendant makes. Chauvin did not take the stand. Potter did. Listen to what one of the Chauvin jurors, Brandon Mitchell, said. It probably probably was to his detriment that he didn't take the stand because people were curious on what his thoughts were throughout the entire incident. But knowing all that you know, do you think Chauvin made the right decision in not testifying? Well, it's hard to tell because, you know, he's not my client and a member of the public watching. We didn't really get a sense of who he was. We know from his prior record, it would have made it really difficult for him to take the stand because he had numerous previous instances where he was disciplined for using too much force in somewhat similar ways to uh, the force he used with George Floyd. We also didn't really get to see Mr. Chauvin because he had a mask on the entire time. So, you know, if the call was made that he shouldn't testify because, A, he didn't really have a good explanation, and or B, he would have been viewed as really unlikable by the jury, and C, his prior record would have come out then, I think that makes sense that he didn't take the stand because he just would have been even more vulnerable. And some of the explanations that his lawyer gave then might have been deflated because of Chauvin's testimony. So that might have been a smart call in that case to not have him testify. Now, Potter broke down in tears throughout her testimony. I remember yelling, taser, 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 and nothing happened. And then he told me I shot him. Obviously, it didn't help her case with the jurors, but was it the right decision? I think putting her on the stand was the exact right thing to do. I think she had to explain herself. I think the jury had to hear from her. They had to be in a position where they could process things through her lens or her eyes. I think that her testimony was extraordinarily compelling on many fronts. There was two things that I think that unfortunately, though, were missing from her testimony. And one is just because it was the way it was, which is that She didn't have a very good recollection of what happened in the most critical moments, which 
is not unusual in times of trauma or moments of high stress, right? Like we don't exactly remember what happened. We just kind of act. We just do. We're sort of on autopilot. And she, I think, explained that, well, I know other people who've commented on her testimony in the media have criticized her testimony for lacking that explanation. But I thought her testimony was very compelling. One small criticism I had was that I didn't feel the way that she dressed or the way she was told to dress really matched her persona. I understand they were trying to make her very human and make her a nice, you know, middle-aged woman. But I thought that uh, what she wore didn't match with her authority and her competency. She was my client. I probably would have put her in a a white button-up long sleeve shirt with a blazer just because we know that she is somebody who can take control of situations. She made the wrong call here. And so there was a little bit of a disconnect for me in how she was presenting physically and what we came to understand of the job that she did and how she did it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. You can't underestimate the importance of how a defendant appears to the jury. So in the opening statements in both trials, the prosecution talked about the defendants betraying the badge. Were they held to a higher standard because they're police officers? Not by the jury instructions, of course, but by the prosecutor and by the jurors. Absolutely. And I don't know if there was litigation about trying to uh, limit prosecution statements about that, betraying the badge. There is no special standard for police officers versus regular civilians. There's an innate, I think, understanding that police officers, through their special training, are people that we should be able to trust to make the right call. I do think, though, that those statements sort of elevated what jurors came to expect of a person on the job of police officer. Like, they were basically told that a police officer shouldn't make a mistake like this. And so anytime a juror is looking at a professional and judging their competence. I think that takes us into an entirely different realm, which to your question, are we holding them to a different standard? And I think that's why the defense was trying to humanize Potter, because that's the only way they could get jurors to perhaps see that he was just a a person trying to do a job and a hard job at that. The defense seemed to try to shift the blame onto the victims at both trials. Did that backfire on them? As the law is written, there's a question of causation. And so in Chauvin's case, did his knee on the neck cause the death or was it because George Floyd had a large amount of fentanyl in his system? And so that's what the law says the state had to prove. And so the defense has to defend their client and present alternative theories and arguments for the jury to consider. So while that could be looked at as, you know, victim shaming or blaming, I don't think that's a fair assessment. The defense has to be able to push back on the state's evidence and present alternative theories, just as Kim Potter did. Kim Potter's attorneys brought forth the defense that, look, she had a really hard choice to make. Either her partner was going to be killed or she had to subdue Mr. Wright and stop him from leaving the scene. So I see that as a defendant attempting to get a fair trial and explain things from their point of view. Some people are pointing to these two trials as an indication that police officers are now being held accountable. Do you see this as some kind of a sea change or just the results of the specific facts in these two trials? 
I think that they are standing for that. And that's my concern because I think they're very different situations, but yet they're being looked at in the same light. The differences in the facts, that's all being glossed over. And instead, if there's somebody who gets killed, in particular a person of color, then the expectation by the public is that cop is getting charged and there is a desire to convict that person. And that's considered equal justice and that's considered fairness. I don't think that's how our criminal justice system was constructed. We are supposed to look at individual facts and each case being tried for what it is versus the type of case that it is. Like we need to be looking at individual facts. And I think there was a very strong momentum here to look at Kim Potter's case in the same way we looked at Derek Chauvin's. And I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's the right lens. But I think now there's a wider lens and more police officers are going to get charged, more are going to get tried. And I think, frankly, more are going to get convicted because there's this consensus based upon what happened in the Chauvin trial that we must hold people accountable. And if we don't, we're failing. Thanks, Krista. That's Krista Groshek, managing partner of Groshek Law. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Ghislaine Maxwell's globe-trotting days are over as she faces decades in prison. A jury deliberated for about five days and found Maxwell guilty of engaging in a 10-year sex trafficking scheme with Jeffrey Epstein, a verdict that offers long-delayed justice for their victims, like Annie Farmer, who testified at the trial. wasn't sure that this day would ever come, and uh, I just feel so grateful that the jury 
believed us and sent a strong message that perpetrators of sexual abuse and exploitation will be held accountable no matter how much power and privilege that they have. But Maxwell's brother, Kevin Maxwell, says they'll appeal and that his sister will be exonerated. I'm absolutely convinced of uh, Jeffrey Epstein's crimes and I'm equally absolutely convinced uh, that my sister is being punished for them and for him. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Patricia Hurtado, who covered the trial. Maxwell is facing what could be a life in prison. What was her reaction to the verdict? She virtually showed no reaction. She stood and watched and blinked, and, you know, half of her face was obscured by her mask. Before the verdict, we were all waiting for the jury to file in, and she was sitting and looking pensively down at her lap with her hands folded, and I saw her brother Kevin look up at the ceiling. I don't know if it was like a moment of hopefulness or worry. One of her lawyers, after the verdict was announced, patted her on the back and you know, to kind of comfort her, and then she was led away by the marshals. It seemed that the prosecution had an overwhelming amount of evidence against Maxwell. What was the strongest piece? I think it was really a masterful putting together of small pieces of information all together collectively. I mean, many people criticized the case that it was based on the word of the women alone. They had powerful stories to tell, excruciating detail about being basically hoodwinked by Maxwell and Epstein into coercive, weird sexual domination relationships with Epstein. But Maxwell had participated in them. And when they're like 13 and 14 years old and they'd gone on for years, you know, these things happened 20, 25 years ago. It's quite compelling, but is there actual other evidence to corroborate it? And what the government did is they had managed to get one pilot of Epstein's Dave Rogers. So he actually corroborated that one of the accusers, Jane, was with Maxwell and Epstein on one of Epstein's private planes at least four times that she'd been transported across state lines. And then records show that Virginia Jufrey had been transported when she was under 18 at least 20 times. And there was also evidence of a FedEx shipment that Epstein had sent to a girl named Caroline who was 14 when she started getting into these abusive sexualized massages with Epstein. So it's that kind of little incidental evidence that the jury had to really sort through. But the government was highlighting, look at all these little points, put them together like a puzzle. And what does it put it together that Maxwell is guilty? I think that's why the jury took so long. They were being very careful about it. Maxwell didn't take the stand in her own defense. What was her defense? Was it just an attack on the credibility of the victims? Yeah, it was assailing every moment of these victims. You know, you don't remember what you said. Well, didn't you say you met her at a party? Oh, it wasn't a party. It was a little get-together. Oh, didn't someone tell you to lie about your age? Didn't you lie? There were many, many attacks on the credibility, and they also tried to go after the women claiming they were just in it for the money, that they had lied about Maxwell and Epstein purely to collect money from the Epstein Victims Compensation Fund, which had been set up by the Epstein estate to compensate women who had been sexually abused by Epstein. And the government really showed in in closing arguments and rebuttal that that was a patently false lie. The women 
had long accused Maxwell and Epstein, long before there was ever any Epstein estate fund, and they had collected money before they ever testified, and they weren't going to collect more money after they testified because they testified, which is what the defense claimed. So the jury was able to see through those allegations of the lack of credibility. She's going to appeal. Appeals are always very difficult to get your conviction overturned. Were there any obvious points of appeal? Well, I think the defense is going to argue Epstein got a non-prosecution agreement from the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of Florida with Alexander Acosta. And so they already argued that it was improper for the Southern District to prosecute a case that basically Acosta had given Epstein a pass for. They had already lost that argument before Judge Nathan, and I'm sure they're going to ask the Court of Appeals to review the judge's decision on that. The government used women who had been abused in New York, so even and they were new victims. So this woman, Jane, was a new victim. She had never come forward, and she only came forward after Epstein died. And then they used this woman, Carolyn, who had was from Palm Beach as well, but she was the one that got gifts from Epstein in from New York. And there was the FedEx records they had of those those gifts. So they built a new case using the nexus of the crimes happened that were tied to New York. Annie Farmer, for example, was one of the victims, and she had been invited to New York by Epstein. And the government argued that was like the Epstein setting the stage to kind of groom and lure this girl. And he, he allegedly lured her to New Mexico. And now he's, the jury found that she was lured to New Mexico by Epstein. She was trapped on a ranch with in New Mexico with Epstein and Maxwell, and they molested her. Is there any chance that she could still make a deal with prosecutors? Prosecutors usually go up the chain, and the top of the chain here, Epstein, is dead. But could she name names and get herself maybe a lesser prison sentence? I don't see how that's going to help Maxwell because the government had a hard road to even get Maxwell convicted. There were many people that played roles in the abuse enablers, let's say people who may have called and arranged for appointments. But the actual abuse of the victims was done by Epstein and, according to these women, Maxwell as well. And so basically, you could see Epstein as the head of a drug organization. He's the kingpin. And she's number two in the organization. You don't normally prosecute the customers the same way you would the person who's running the drug operation, right? So Maxwell is at the top, and I don't see how she could flip on anyone way, way, way down the food chain. She's fought this too hard already. Thanks, Patty. That's Bloomberg legal reporter Patricia Hurtado. Coming up next, 2022 may be a seismic year at the Supreme Court. You're listening to Bloomberg. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. 
More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.